0: Welcome to the Sister C Podcast, your monthly dose of sisterhood and mental health advice coming to you on the 15th of every month. My name is Joel, and I'm a licensed therapist who is committed to fighting the stigma of mental illness. Each month, I will talk to one of my favorite sisters who has lived experience or expert insight about today's most important mental health issues. We are about to break down today's topic and provide you with some candid and practical mental health advice. Is this bitch recording? I think it is. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Sister C podcast. Today, we're talking about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is the Free Britney movement and how Britney's story and basically this conservatorship that she has been in for the last 13 years um, basically exemplifies Everything about narcissistic abuse. It maybe doesn't exemplify everything, but it is an example of somebody who has endured severe narcissistic abuse. And we're going to talk about the kind of signs exhibited in front of us all of these years, and specifically with a focus on her father and how her father has basically controlled her life. And especially now that Brittany has spoken up, we can speak to these signs even more. And so this episode is not just about Brittany, but it's also about the signs of narcissistic abuse that Brittany has taught us that her story has taught us. Because this is such a big topic, as you will see, we are going to discuss practical advice in a separate episode. So tune into episode five to hear our discussion about ways to cope with narcissistic abuse. The day that we're recording this episode is November 11th and Brittany has a court date tomorrow, which may be her last court date before she is free of this 13, 14 year conservatorship that she has been under. And so anybody who knows me knows that I am obsessed with Britney Spears. Not even obsessed. I just love her and feel connected to her. And I have been very invested in what's been going on in the Free Britney case. Today's guest is the only person that I know who basically loves Britney as much as I do. I know there are people out there who love Britney as much as I do, but personally, this is the only person (laughs) who loves Britney as much as I do. And he's also my best friend who I met when I was six years old and we have been friends ever since. Without further ado, my friend Lucas Ortiz. Lucas Ortiz is not only a friend of mine and not only has personal experience with this topic, but he also... Is a, a health professional who recently graduated as a nurse. Take it away, Luca. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you
1: so much. Um, yes, I think, I mean, were we in diapers? No. Um, we were in, boy, I was sitting on your face. That's what it was.
0: <laughs> Literally, my first memory of you being six years old is you <laughs> sitting on my face. That's really my first memory of you. <laughs>
2: We should have known we were, yeah, (laughs)
1: Um, but all jokes aside, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here, today with you virtually. I am Um, so glad to have you. And yes, I'm a recent grad from the local community college here in New Brunswick, and I am licensed as a practical nurse. And I love Britney Spears Mm. so much. And just like you said, uh, not really an obsession, just genuine care for someone that Mm. has impacted our lives beyond just, you know, a popular singer. You know, her trials and tribulations and her ups and downs have really kind of molded us a little bit. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. important to highlight.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a investment in Britney Spears, the person, not just Britney Spears, the singer, Britney Spears, the product. And I think, you know, I've always basically been interested in mental health and aware of mental health. I mean, I always loved Britney Spears every time that I saw her come up on the TV. But essentially, I lived in a very sheltered home. I was very sheltered growing up. And the Much Music channel where, you know, kind of, I guess my only exposure to um, Britney at that time was blocked at my house. And you were the first person to really, uh, really where I could go and explore my love for Britney Spears because you just lived two doors away from me, basically two doors down. And I would come over and we would watch Britney videos in your basement. And, you know, that's kind of when I truly fell in love with Britney. And it wasn't like the earliest Britney era that I fell in love with. But I fell in love with Britney in 2007 during her Gimme More era. Basically when, you know, when this whole thing started, when, you know, she shaved her head and I guess that warranted, you know, her to lose all of her rights for 13 years. But basically (laughs) that's when I started to love her. When, When the public started to turn on her is when I started to love her. And simultaneously, I was also... Coming out of the closet, 2007 was basically the year that I came out as gay. I was 15 years old, maybe 16 years old. Basically was going through a lot and having my own struggles and really connected with Brittany almost because of the struggles that she was going through at the same time. And I was able to see that really this person is just overwhelmed with the attention and the harassment. And it's not so much that she had something wrong with her as it is a normal response to what she was going through. And I've always seen it like that since day one. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, since you're kind of the person who was my gateway to Britney, why don't you tell me how you fell in love with Britney?
1: For sure. You know, it really goes back all the way to 1998 in September when that hit dropped <laughs> and you know, you just hear da na na <laughs> like. You know, um, bam. Bam. you know, it was just to hit me maybe one more time. And you're like, what? Like, who is this? You know, and I'm um, and slowly, but surely you just continue to hear that song again and again and again. And then, you know, 1999 comes the song, which is number one, the album comes out, it's number one and bam, like here you have a superstar. So really, of course, that was everyone's introduction to Britney. You know, I was six years old, I think, Um, 1999, yeah, six years old when Baby One More Time came out. So, you know, I always remember hearing the songs uh, when I would go to swimming class when I was young and she really impacted me um, with her performances, you know, more and more she became provocative and people Mm -hmm. were talking about her, you know, what is she doing? And then that 2000 VMA performance where she ripped off her clothes to reveal a sparkling flesh-colored <laughs> bodysuit. I um, mean, she's 18, and then literally everyone thought she was butt naked um, until you can obviously see she's wearing clothes. And so just performance of performance, and to kind of bring it back, I found myself really being taken over yeah, as a, becoming a fan in a stand. With her third studio album, Britney, and the release of Slave for You.
0: She ain't no slave, but <laughs> as um, she told us in her testimony on June 23rd, she is not here to be anybody's slave. No, ma'am.
1: But really, it was that uh, 2001, that third Britney album, where her dancing just became so, you know, she was on fire and she did the Slave for You performance. And the year before, you know, she did the Sparkling Dance Suit and, and being you know, a little Spanish. She really, you know, taught me how to dance. And I guess from her Slate For You performance onward is when I really began to follow her and was like, what is she doing now? So I guess obviously I was six years old. When you're six, seven, eight, I was like loving her as a fan. And then from Slate for You onward is when I started to really have the consideration for her as the person. Cause I started to wonder, even as an eight, nine year old child. I was like, wow, like the sweet teen bopper is now all of a sudden taking off all her clothes and dancing really provocatively, but yet she's still so sweet. I guess i really related to that. I really related to having this innocence, I mean, as a nine year old child, uh, I come from a history of abuse, um, just to kind of get that out there.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: as a child, I felt like I was losing my innocence because of the abusive environment around me. And to look at Britney. You know, she was an idol for me. Um, she represented strength and female empowerment. And as a young gay boy, that was really important to me. And I really needed role models because I felt like the people around me weren't doing that for me. And so, mm. from then onward, I started to find myself wondering, you know, how is she as a person? You know, who is this girl? And that was basically uh, the, begin- the, the beginning
0: yes i relate to that as well i feel like britney has absolutely been a source of light for me a beacon of light for me and she's been someone who i've looked up to as (laughs) basically like you said someone as a somebody who embodies female empowerment and somebody who just feels so powerful basically by listening to a britney song or just by watching a britney performance i also feel powerful. And really, I just feel like a soul connection with her. Now that she will be free as of tomorrow, it sounds like she very likely will be free of this conservatorship officially. Whatever happens tomorrow, I'm gonna ball my eyes out. And the Free Britney movement, you guys rock, honestly. My voice was muted and threatened for so long and um, I wasn't able to speak up or say anything. And um, because of you guys and the awareness of kind of knowing what was going on, and delivering that news to the public for so long. You gave it awareness um, to all of them. And um, because of you, I honestly think you guys saved my life. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. If she becomes free,
1: I'm going to cry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anybody who's been following along with the Britney saga would know that um, there's been some documentaries that have been released, two of which come from the New York Times. They're called Framing Britney Spears and Controlling Britney Spears. And oh my God, the first five minutes of the last documentary, Controlling Britney Spears, I broke down because it starts with... Basically everybody outside the courthouse listening in for whatever reason we could hear, you know, this testimony that she gave on June twenty-third. Everyone's just sitting there like rooting for this woman, rooting for this person that we know who's been trapped, who has been taken advantage of. And I believe she starts her testimony by saying she starts her testimony by responding to you know, one of her dad's lawyers who asked to have a closed hearing, keep everything hush-hush as they always have. And she just stood up for herself and she said, actually, you've done a really good job, press and everybody has done a really good job of exploiting my life for the last so long. And so I think that we should keep it open and you should hear what I have to say. And I, I'm i like getting shivers just talking about it right now. Just like the strength, like the confidence to stand up to the system that has been oppressing you and to all of your abusers and to fight for your life, to fight for your freedom. She put everything on the line that day to fight for her freedom. And against all odds, it looks like she will be officially free tomorrow. I think so. And I'm grateful for that. You know, it's nice. It's really nice. So because this is a mental health podcast, you know, we're not just going to be talking about Brittany and our love for Brittany. Let me ask you, Lucas, what is your relationship with the term narcissism?
1: For sure. I
0: remember learning
1: about narcissism, you know, back in the day when you were finishing your university degree in your psych major. And um, we had, I believe I was 18 and we were twenty twenty-one. Oh, yeah, it was your 21st birthday, I think, is when we reconnected like the next day.
0: <laughs> yes, we did.
1: Right. <laughs> so, you know, I became really intrigued and really enthralled with psychology because of your passion for it. And you, as you were studying and learning things, you were, I would ask you questions and you would let me know. And we also had a lot of fun just like me asking questions. Oh, what does this mean? Or what is that? And also, I find myself, Really using a lot of what you were learning for my own healing and growth. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, coming from a home of abuse, just (laughs) when I say a history of abuse or a home of abuse, what I mean is growing up, you know, I didn't have the parents that tell you they love you every day and that they're proud of you. And I didn't have that support where when you're a small child and you make a mistake, that you're you know, your parents tell you what's right and what's wrong and how to move forward. And I have forgiven my parents. Um, they, come, they also come from a home of abuse, So they're just teaching me what they learned. So coming from a, um, a home where as a child you're invalidated, you're told you're wrong, that everything that you're doing is wrong. Why, why aren't you doing better? Why aren't you good enough? Literally, those are the words that would come out of my parents. Now, as I'm a six-year-old child,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: back to when I was 18 and you were 20 and you were finishing your psych major, I was just so intrigued by all the knowledge that you were learning, and I felt like I was going a little insane. You know, I wasn't given the tools to use inner strength, and I didn't have the tools to make decisions for myself. My family is very controlling, or was very controlling, so every aspect of my life was. Controlled. you know my parents were telling me every step of the way what to do what to say how to look etc etc um Mm -hmm. up until i was 18 and i was like all right this is enough so my connection to narcissism i guess my knowledge of it comes from you and those times Mm -hmm. but i guess now that we're talking about it you know i will just put out there that you know my mother and my father are very narcissistic um, and <laughs> um, I love you mom and dad we've all come, we've all come a long way you know? um, there's lots of discussions and conversations that I've had with my parents about their behavior back in the day in the 90s and early 2000s you know, my, my parents were very self-centered very narcissistic if I did something wrong they would get upset because I would make them look bad things mm. like that those kinds of things, right? They were always worried about what people would say, what people would think about them. And I was just this object to them as Mm. a child. I would even, you know, go as far as to say, you know, I remember a very vivid memory when I was like eight years old. And I remember I was, I'm, I'm a short guy. I'm five, five. Mm -hmm. i'm literally one inch taller than (laughs) britney um so like i remember so as a small as an eight-year-old i was literally like teeny teeny tiny like very small Mm -hmm. i remember looking up at my mom and just reaching out and being like i love you and i remember her looking down at me laughed in my face and walked away oh wow yeah so kind of my connection
0: to narcissism. So you have a personal connection to narcissism based on the narcissistic abuse that you've endured. And then of course, you and I, yes, we have always talked and always been fascinated with psychology ever since I started studying psychology, basically. Specifically, you and I have had an interest in personality disorders, and in particular, the narcissistic Personality disorders. The the fact is, there's actually an entire cluster of disorders that are all related to narcissism and all basically have narcissism at their core. And so that does include narcissistic personality disorder, but it also includes borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. So we have always had a fascination with the spectrum of disorders that are all related. And basically, for those psychology nerds out there, these are called the cluster B disorders. You and I have been interested in them basically since I started learning about them, like you said, and we basically would talk about you know, how these concepts that I was learning about were relating to our lived experience. I guess I could say too, on a personal note, that let's just say that the entire spectrum of narcissism is represented <laughs> within my family background as well. In particular, I think there's been a lot of um, trauma and abuse that has been afflicted by some uh, highly narcissistic, even sociopathic individuals within my family structure. When we talk about responses to toxic behavior and responses to narcissistic abuse, it's common for people to um, express the trait of codependency. I kind of identify, and I identified this in my last episode where I basically mentioned that I do identify with having traits of codependency, which I view as being um, almost an impact of the narcissistic um, abuse and other toxic behaviors that basically we've been exposed to within my family and sometimes I've been exposed to it directly with my father. I think my father absolutely is on the spectrum of narcissism and I think I wouldn't even be surprised if he was more sociopathic to, you know, kind of progressing up the spectrum from narcissism to antisocial. And um, I have always been just fascinated with the topic, even before I realized how relevant it was to me, to be honest. I'm so glad we're doing this together. And I think it's going to be um, fun to explore. Fun. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to basically bring these signs of narcissistic abuse to light through Brittany's story, which we are just so familiar with.
1: The similarities within our own families and the narcissism that is pervasive in our families, I think probably is what also drew a connection to us. And we were able to relate to each other based on our shared experience with narcissism Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: and narcissistic traits you know just to kind of um put that out put this out there you know i don't think my either one of my parents is the narcissist um (laughs) but because they do have empathy (laughs) they Mm. do have even if it might be or may have been a shallow level of empathy there's still some empathy within them. Are they subclinical? Hell
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So while you and I have been basically exposed to high levels of narcissism, we also kind of recognize the fact that narcissism is just a personality trait. It's a characteristic. Um, It's kind of a characteristic that everybody possesses to some degree. And there's actually such a thing as having too little narcissism as well as having too much narcissism. It's simply a characteristic that has been evolutionarily advantageous for us to have, for us to be able to look out for our own needs and to survive and to thrive. And basically, you know, lots of people out there have uh, some narcissistic traits. It's not really a bad thing until you start to kind of pile on those traits until you're looking at about, you know, three or four or five traits of narcissism and overall, we just describe these traits as a mental health condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance. And this kind of comes with, like you had mentioned, a lack of empathy. So it's pretty easy to like look up any kind of video about narcissism and kind of figure out what the diagnostic criteria and things like that are. But so we're not really going to focus on that. I do think that one thing that's important to point out is the fact that empathy seems to be involved. And some people would say that, you know, to be a clinical narcissist or to be, you know, a full-blown narcissist, I suppose, would mean that a person lacks capacity for empathy. We talked about how we're going to be exploring the signs of narcissistic abuse. Basically, these are signs of manipulation. The reason, I guess, why a narcissist might be able to manipulate people in these ways is because they do lack empathy and they don't care or really have insight into how people are feeling. Or I guess they do have enough insight to be able to manipulate them, but, <laughs> but truly don't like have emotional empathy. And so it kind of allows them to be able to view people as objects. That's kind of what's happened in the case of Brittany. And it's kind of why we see these people being so manipulative. That's exactly it. And so without further ado, let's get started on these signs of narcissistic abuse. Let's get into it. So, of course, it's not possible for me to diagnose someone that I've never met. And so we're not giving any official diagnoses or anything like that in this episode. But, um, you know, I was speaking about how narcissism is a personality trait. And it's really kind of people at the very extreme end of the spectrum, you know, of people who have this trait, where it becomes very problematic, essentially. And there's a point where someone might be considered a clinical narcissist. I would say Like my guess, my opinion is that Jamie Spears absolutely fits the bill of a clinical narcissist. And he basically took the opportunity to, you know, when his daughter was down and out, um, you know, he of course took on this role of a concerned father, or he had the facade of a concerned father, but essentially he um, swooped in and took advantage of a situation and so that he could basically profit off of his daughter. And um, so he could control his daughter. He even sometimes has um, been known to say that he is Britney Spears, which I think speaks to the fact that... That he views his daughter and probably other people as really just um, beneath him as, as an object he, he truly thinks that he is responsible that he is um, the mastermind behind Britney Spears And and he, I guess he uses that to justify his behavior and to justify the fact that he has Basically stolen 13 years of her life and millions and millions of her dollars million. We don't even know so the first sign that we'll be discussing is gaslighting. This is a term that is thrown around quite a lot, but basically what it means is that when somebody is gaslighting you, they are intentionally trying to make you question your sanity, your reality, or your memories. Why don't I start out by asking you, Luca, what do you think within Brittany's story relates to this concept of gaslighting?
1: So I do want to pull from an article that i found from the pennsylvania coalition against domestic violence they did a wonderful piece about how britney's conservatorship reveals a lot of tactics of abuse Mm -hmm. Um, the author is not named on this piece you know britney's been gaslighted pretty much her entire career i think the media and mainstream media is literally a machine of gaslighting Mm. so when they took a hold of her persona and her brand, and decided to do whatever they wanted with it. Um, probably right around the time that she and Justin Timberlake um, broke up is when the media machine really started to gaslight society about who she is and everything that happened there, um, which is revealed in the Britney Spears documentary. Mm-hmm. But in this article, that Britney quote, Britney was presented in the public eye as someone who was mentally unstable and someone who was unable to look after herself. From the Rolling Stones cover featuring a then 17-year-old Spears on a bed in an unbuttoned shirt, fully exposing a bra and underwear, to the still present memes and jokes when Spears shaved her head, Spears has been gaslit by not only her father, but also by the media coverage that she's received. So since the very beginning, again, the media is pointing out that she literally at the beginning, so even before Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. that, oh, who's this 17-year-old girl on this cover of the magazine dressed like that? She must not be well. Who are her parents? Why is she doing this? Like, what's wrong with her? You know, I, I guess it was back in the 90s, but we're, obviously times have changed. You know, now we're looking at female empowerment and owning and loving your own body, and she was ahead of her time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Bang on. I think that she has been gaslit for much, much longer than we even, than we even know. But I think the most obvious example of gaslighting for Brittany is basically this conservatorship that she's in. So conservatorship, really quickly, is basically a legal guardianship that is imposed on somebody when they have demonstrated that they are not fit to take care of themselves and take care of their assets. She has been under a guardianship under the guardianship of her father, basically, of her abusive father. It's disturbing to even say, you know, by being into this conservatorship, she's being told that she is incompetent, that she's not able to meet her daily needs, that she's not even able to, like it says in the California state law about like, not even able to be able to feed yourself, uh, to be able to work and uh, to be able to take care of your basic needs. However, all the while she is going on four world tours, releasing four studio albums with many of them going to number 1. Basically kept a rigorous schedule and has pr- been providing income for so many people including herself. But yet she's told that she's incompetent. Yet she's told that she needs to be under conservatorship that she can't make decisions for herself even though she is working at the highest level for a pop star. That's probably the most obvious sign of gaslighting that comes to mind for me is just, you know, she's literally through this conservatorship and through this situation, she's being told that she is crazy, that she can never trust her thoughts, that she can never trust her feelings, even though she is making millions of dollars and employing hundreds of people.
1: So true. And honestly, at this point, Britain's raked in over $2 billion in revenue. Mm -hmm. So she's really literally making billions of dollars for people.
0: Yeah. Moving on to a related sign of narcissistic abuse. You know, we all talk about denial. We talk about uh, people will deny things. You don't have to be a narcissist to um, have adopted the style of denial. Basically, when we're talking about narcissistic abuse, denial basically refers to somebody denying specific events that have happened. It's a little bit more general, I suppose, than just than gaslighting, trying to make you uh, question your sanity. Obviously, we do not know the entire story. Hopefully, she will do a tell-all, sit-down interview someday and, you know, get her justice and have her voice heard even more. But at this time, we mostly just know Brittany's story through her explosive testimony on June 23rd and then basically subsequent um, Instagram posts. And actually there was a subsequent court date as well where we didn't actually get to hear the audio and, and yeah, we didn't wasn't broadcast to the world like the first hearing, but we did get to see a transcript of that. So we kind of know Brittany's opinion. She made claims about being forced to work and made claims about, um, you know, working when she had a fever and and being made to work when she was sick. And she Mm -hmm. made claims about, um, you know, lots of different things, lots of really disturbing things in this original court hearing I work seven days a week, no days off, which in California, the only similar thing to this is called sex trafficking. If I didn't do any of my meetings and work from eight to six at night, I wouldn't be able to see my kids or my boyfriend. Ma'am, my dad and anyone involved in this conservatorship and my management who played a huge role in punishing me when I said, no, ma'am, they should be in jail. And basically, a lot of these things were denied by her father and her father's lawyers. She's misremembering, is what they said. So it's kind of a bit of the gaslighting and denial happening because they're relying on this idea that she's crazy, as well as um, just denying these very specific allegations that she made. And so what do you think about denial and how it applies to Brittany's story?
1: Yeah, you're definitely right. You know, from the very beginning of the conservatorship, and as we now know, because of the documentaries, the many documentaries that have come out, um, Brittany's been trying to get out of this since day one and every step of the way, everyone around her is literally denying her that opportunity. And even to add to that, um, going back to her first documentary, Britain for the record back 2009, I think 2008, mm-hmm.
2: 2009, um, mm-hmm. there
1: was a scene in that documentary where she's dating that, you know, she's angry. The documentary does a very good job at editing out why she's angry, you know, like, and all these things. Although they never explicitly say the conservatorship, but Brittany details, you know, the doctors and the lawyers and everyone constantly analyzing her. Looking back now, that we know, like, that whole documentary was really about the conservatorship. But mm-hmm. um, there was a scene where, you know, she's like, I'm angry. Sounds, you know, people aren't really listening to me. And she's trying to tell her team, or she was like, I tell people how I feel, but they're not really listening to me. They're just hearing what they want to hear and telling me what, you know, something like that. And then the scene flips where um, her team is telling her, oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're perfectly fine. And she's like, no, like I'm angry. And she's like smiling because it's like such a ridiculous, like, you know, She's aware that what's going on is ridiculous. And she's like, I'm so angry right now. Like, you know, she says something like, certain things that you think I can get, I can't. And her team, they're all just laughing at her. They're
2: all just laughing
1: and they're all like, no, like, they're basically literally in present time denying her reality.
0: Mm -hmm. And that example actually speaks to our third sign of narcissistic abuse, which is known as trivializing. So trivializing refers to when a narcissist or you know somebody else even may belittle or demean your emotions. And so they might say that you're overreacting or that you're being too sensitive um, when you tell them about your feelings. So yes, things are being denied, but um, I would say the example that you just spoke about really speaks to trivializing. Basically, she's saying in this interview that she you know, is in a situation that she doesn't like, that she tells people how she's feeling, and that basically it seems that people look like they're listening, but they're not hearing her. That's exactly true. So the, the next pattern that we're going to be discussing, when a narcissist tries to manipulate your feelings, so they basically try to change your perception. So in the case of Britney, Jamie Spears, you know, would be quite challenged by a lot of her boyfriends and would be challenged by uh, people who were getting close to Britney and would find ways to basically, you know, cut those people out of Britney's life and would find ways to manipulate Britney's feelings about these people. The best example that I can think of is her ex-boyfriend, David Lucado, where at some point David Lucado kind of uh, started to become a threat in Jamie's eyes. Jamie then basically showed Brittany footage. I don't know where he got this footage, but somehow he had footage of David cheating on Brittany with another girl. And I don't even know if it was current footage of him, you know, being with someone while he was with Brittany, or if it was old footage or whatever. But we basically know that Jamie had shown Brittany a video of her boyfriend being with another woman, and that caused Brittany to break up with this boyfriend this is kind of a way that um, we are seeing her father manipulating her feelings.
1: So true. And just like you said, you know, where did Jamie even get this footage? And recently we know that in the Controlling Britney Spears documentary that he's monitoring her every move and recording everything that she was saying and everywhere she was going. So I'm wondering if she was dating David back in 2014, I think around that mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. Um, 2013. So this has really been going on for a really long time. And these documentaries have also highlighted that Britain's father is very much interested in her sex life and in her love mm-hmm. life and who she talks to and the men that she dates and that he has to approve the men that she dates. So you're definitely right with the narcissistic and um, manipulating feelings. So, you know, he has been able to manipulate even men in her life and mm-hmm. control those aspects too.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think for those of us who are not the most famous celebrity on the planet, or for those of us who aren't in conservatorships with our evil fathers, <laughs> this might look a little bit different. So for you and I, for instance, we've been friends for 24 years and I know we've both had different men that we've dated along the way. And I remember specific people being very threatened by just the fact that I had such a close friend, a close gay friend. And I think we've kind of had people try to, you know, plant little seeds in my ear about you, basically, uh, you know, trying to cause me to feel a certain way about you and to basically, you know, cut you out of my life.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> right, It's most. it's mostly been
0: all of your boyfriend. Except for for maybe one. Except for maybe one. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) For those of us who aren't in a conservatorship, which I imagine would be anyone listening to this podcast, it, it just kind of looks like people being threatened. It looks like people trying to influence how you feel about someone. In Brittany's case, her father influencing how she feels about her boyfriends and God knows what else. Moving on, another sign of narcissistic abuse is incongruent actions. When words don't match actions, or as my sister Kelly would say, when the audio doesn't match the video. And (laughs) so I would actually say that this particular sign really relates to the core of manipulation. Like what does it mean to be manipulative? It means that Your words don't match your actions, (laughs) basically.
2: Yeah.
0: And sometimes people can be manipulative. Obviously, we don't have to be a full-blown, malignant narcissist like Jamie Spears uh, to have incongruent actions. Sometimes people... Um, have learned to lie to themselves and sometimes they'll tell themselves something about what they're going to do and then they won't follow through with it and so in a sense um, having incongruent actions. In the case of Jamie Spears, incongruent actions are very premeditated and I think the most relevant example in the case of Britney is that Britney was told from the outset of this conservatorship that it was temporary and obviously Mm -hmm. It was later made permanent. She was told once she completed, you know, she went on world tour. And this is the thing about conservatorships is if someone's in a conservatorship, they're not able to work. They're not able to provide money and they're not able to go on world tours and have four bestselling albums and, and all of that. So Brittany was basically told that once she completed the circus tour, so this tour that she had gone on immediately into her conservatorship which is very odd in a conservatorship to immediately go to work to immediately go um, and be a functioning individual Um, and she was told that once she completes the circus tour which i think was the highest grossing tour of any female pop star that year that they would end the conservatorship and what Mm. happened after that is it was actually made permanent so words not matching actions and i think that's the example that comes to mind for me what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on this incongruent actions
1: yeah i mean that's definitely the biggest example and he did it again and again on her next tour the Patel tour he said this would be the last one and then the vegas residency came and then that lasted four years and then she wanted to take a break and they said sure and oh but But there's, you know, an opportunity we could do another one in Domination.
0: Oh, yes. She also did uh, Vegas residency. And I think it was was very successful. Those true Britney fans out there will know that she was preparing to do a second Vegas residency called Domination. So her first one was called Piece of Me. And her second one that she was uh, preparing for was called Domination. And basically, um, she did not actually want to do Mm -hmm. a second residency. I guess during kind of halfway throughout preparing for that through the rehearsals and whatever. Uh, at some point, she was told that if she wanted if she chose not to do the residency, if she chose to back out, that it would be okay and she'd be perfectly fine to do that. But what had actually happened was, uh, you know, her team told her doctor that she was not cooperating in rehearsal, which isn't even a valid reason for anything. But uh, And I guess they used that in order to have her doctor change her medication and put her on lithium. This is something she spoke about specifically in her testimony on the 23rd of June. So I guess the incongruence here is they say it's okay you can choose not to do this if you don't want to do it and then she chose not to do it and then she was punished for it by being put on lithium and being forced into a mental health facility against her will you know talk about there's more there's a couple problems with that other than incongruent actions but certainly Mm -hmm. uh, the essence of this very much relates to incongruent actions
1: that's so true. And I remember Brittany saying as well in that testimony that in that specific rehearsal, you know, there was a specific dance move she didn't want to do and didn't make her comfortable. And, you know, what's the big deal. It's just a dance move. And her team was called down to the rehearsal studio. And apparently her dancers and her team disappeared into a little studio room and left her on the dance floor and said, they told her therapist you know that she wasn't taking her medication and that she was being difficult and that oh she's gonna have another meltdown and because she didn't want to do a dance move mm. and that they that, that was also in addition to getting her into the mental health facility so mm. beyond you know literally in that one moment the abuse is they're lying they're gaslighting they're denying Reality, and then they're also manipulating. Also, manipulating her
0: feelings.
2: That. Yeah, all, all, feelings. all of it. All, all of it. Of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Terrible. I know. I know. That's the thing. This is such an extreme situation. Narcissism is very prominent in this world. I think you know, just the kind of capitalist society that we have. fosters narcissism. And really, I think most people have had interactions with narcissistic people and have been impacted by narcissism. But this is on a completely different level, you know, just because most of the time, a narcissist doesn't have the legal power, or, you know, they're not your guardian until you're 39 years old. So these specific signs of narcissistic abuse you know these are the classic signs of abuse that you would see in kind of any narcissistic relationship but they're all taken to the extreme and just like you pointed out kind of happening simultaneously all at the same time
1: we will well i mean i was gonna say we will never know but we might find out tomorrow <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah we
0: might find out when she does her sit down interview what she's mentioned that she wants to do
1: <laughs> yes, with Oprah. Let's get, let's
2: get Oprah.
0: Uh, she did say in her testimony that she wants, to have a, she wants to be able to tell the world about her story. She did say that specifically to the judge.
1: She did. And oh, I'm so excited for that day.
0: Yeah, I know. These last couple signs of narcissistic abuse, I kind of view them as maybe the most severe, especially in the case of Brittany. But the next one is um, emotional blackmail. Brittany had mentioned in her testimony that basically her children were used as a way to manipulate her and that she basically her time with her children was threatened if she did something wrong essentially, Um, or if she did something that the conservatorship didn't like or that her father didn't like. And it's not just Britney that speaks to this, but it's also in these documentaries, uh, especially in Controlling Britney Spears, so the most recent New York Times documentary where um, one of the people being interviewed, I think one of the costume designers who worked very closely with Britney, talked about an instance where, you know, she got in a fight with her father about something because he didn't want her to have a phone because he is incredibly controlling. Basically, you know, she fights back Her father threatens to take her kids away. And so this is not only something that Britney's spoken to specifically, but also something that's been corroborated from various different sources at at this point.
1: Yeah, that's disgusting.
0: Truly. Can't even imagine. Britney specifically, yes, she has this image of being this pop star, obviously just taught us all how to be fearless. But really, who Britney, the person, is she is a mother, she like, cares more about having a family than she does about having this life as a pop star. And she always has. And obviously her father and the conservatorship team were aware of this. And they used it against her.
1: And they used it against her. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they've ever threatened with throwing her into a mental health facility before. Mm-hmm. Or, or I think it always came back to her, her boy.
0: Well, I think that was, the, it's just the one that we know about at this point. And um, I guess it yeah. was probably the most effective in keeping her, I guess, in controlling her.
1: It was the most effective, because you're so right. Like She's been saying she wants to retire for a really long time. So it, her career at this point wasn't the number one thing. And Jamie knew that was the way that he could ultimately control her um, was through her kids. Just because Brittany doesn't care about money or mm. fame or anything like that, to the level that her father does, yeah. or her family as well. Like her fam, the rest of her family is not innocent in all this.
0: They are truly not. We're focusing more on her father just because we know more information about her father, just given everything that has come to light recently. And But yeah, certainly it does seem that her f- entire family, I guess, all had different roles in extorting Britney. Yeah. I should also mention that as a general definition, you know, obviously, again, like this is an exceptional situation that Britney has been in. Generally, emotional blackmail consists of making angry threats or um, attempts to punish behavior. That's all all really emotional blackmail means. And so in this case, they Mm -hmm. had this power of being Britney's guardian and therefore almost being able to control. Well, not almost absolutely being able to control her access to her kids. So that was kind of the most effective way to blackmail her and to basically punish her. Exactly. She also mentioned too, anytime that she said no, and she mentioned this in the testimony, anytime that she said no, that um, people punished her behavior. And I think she mentioned having to, um, you know, go to this facility this particular treatment facility where she was made to do rigorous programming it sounded like 10 hours a day or like something obscene um whereas even the people around her in this home did not have to do that you know like even Mm -hmm. the people around her didn't have to do the same things that she had to do as a basically form of punishment for maybe like you said um refusing a dance move or maybe just from backing out of domination altogether she was punished for that.
1: Yes. I wonder, do you remember the example in Controlling Britney documentary where um, one of her stylists was talking about like she wanted just a pair of shoes and like sketchers that are literally like 20 bucks or something like that. And Mm -hmm. and her team would tell her, why do you need that? Like, you don't need that. You don't need to spend your money on something like that. I don't know if that was necessarily blackmail or punishment,
0: but... Well, really just um, control, you know. I think, yeah, I think it kind of is. It's kind of like when she behaves, she can probably, you know, they would let her have certain things. And when she doesn't behave or do what they want, then she can't have those certain things. Moving on to the next sign of narcissistic abuse, basically smearing Smearing was something that has been used against Britney prior to the conservatorship. You know, if you think about a smear campaign, you know, a smear campaign is kind of what you often hear um, when talking about narcissistic abuse, which basically refers to how a narcissist will attempt to sabotage your reputation by making you look bad to other people. And so in the case of Britney, this was done by her team leaking information or maybe even paying off uh, certain news outlets um, such as TMZ, <laughs> you know, basically put forward stories about Britney. And it seems actually that the conservatorship team and basically... Britney's father, had a relationship with TMZ and that they would, you know, feed them information about Brittany, information that was not true or, um, I mean, pretty much never true. The fact yeah. is, Brittany is a normal person and she's more stable than her father.
1: Yeah. We kind of going back to, we don't even know how deep it really goes. We don't even know what her father has been able to do. Or her family as well, but going back from the beginning of the conservatorship, all the stories that were coming out, and I guess with the mainstream media, with the smear campaign, you know, obviously Britney has been smeared over the media way before the conservatorship, and then it really came, you know, to a head in 2007. Um, So I guess it just makes me wonder, like, we don't know what her father was able to do, even for the conservatorship, because we know that he was working with others, someone called like Lou M. Taylor or someone like that, you know, who knows how long that he was working with her in order to coerce her into this conservatorship. Mm -hmm. What was he able to tell TMZ or tell other media outlets about Britney? When did he begin to do this to her? You know what I mean? And um, Mm -hmm. who was involved in the smearing? Brittany's really been surrounded by a lot of pariahs and narcissists, you know, for a really long time. Yeah. The most obvious is, you know, TMZ and Jamie working together, because every article that TMZ has ever put out, you know, even during the more recent times where the media has been more on Brittany's side over the last several years or I should say several, maybe like 2018, maybe, Um, And especially since 2019, it's so interesting that TMZ's articles are always against Britney. Always. They're always questioning her mental health. They're always putting the angle of, well, can she really take care of herself? Where other media outlets are like, she's 39 years old. She's gone on multiple worldwide tours. Yeah, I guess proof of thought.
0: Yeah, exactly. Even the fact that every single article that we have seen from this specific news outlet has questioned her mental health and always just painting her in this light of being incompetent or being crazy and as, mm-hmm. if, as if struggling with mental health warrants anything that's happened to her. So again, obviously, smear campaigns don't usually take the form, for most of us who are dealing with narcissistic relationships, smear campaigns don't usually take the form of um, people going to the news about us. It usually takes the form of people talking to your friends about you. Maybe someone will, yeah, just kind of make up some lies about you to the different people in your life and maybe even to your social network at large it might be the way that it usually would manifest.
1: We obviously know with. Be, again, it, all of these abuse tactics are used all at once because this is so extreme. Absolutely.
0: Any narcissistic relationship, you will see some of these signs for sure. But in the case of Brittany, we're basically seeing all of the classic signs and we're seeing them to a very extreme level.
1: A very extreme
0: level. The last two signs of narcissistic abuse that we will be speaking about are violence. And stalking, two things that that have actually applied to the case of Britney. In terms of violence, we do know that Jamie Spears was known to be violent, that he struggled with alcoholism, and he was a very angry drunk, and basically was very unstable. We know this through multiple sources. One of those sources is Lynn Spears, Britney's mother. When she released a memoir several years back now, um, she talked about Jamie Spears and basically how he was um, violent and abusive and scary. And yeah. then this violent, abusive, scary man has become, you know, her guardian.
1: And we also know that he had a, Jamie Spears has had a physical altercation with one of her sons where he was, something happened where he was enraged and chased him into a room. He, the boy locked himself in a closet and. Jamie bashed the door down mm. and shook him violently, which now he has a restraining order against, um, which yes. includes uh, both boys and Kevin Founderline. All three have a restraining order against him, which is still in place. So we can only imagine if he's willing to do that to his grandson, what has he been capable of in his entire life? You know, Britney's entire life
0: Exactly, there's even recent evidence um, of him being violent and shaking out one of her sons I would like to also say that um, violence is not always present when thinking about narcissistic abuse, like you can have narcissistic abuse without violence not every narcissist is necessarily violent, but when you look at, you know, um, kind of people who have been incarcerated, or when you look at violent people, they do tend to have narcissistic traits. And um, unfortunately for Brittany, you know, that has been a part of, of her story and in, in her narcissistic father, basically. And then, like I mentioned, um, the last sign that we will talk about is known as hoovering or stalking. Basically, you know, we all know what stalking means. But, um, you know, hoovering is a term that is used in narcissistic relationships. Basically, when somebody has ended a relationship, basically that person kind of stalks you. That, per- that person might try to get in contact with you again. They might stalk you on social media. They might drive by your house. They might uh, start, they might take up a running uh, route in your area. <laughs> like things like that is, uh, are known to happen. And so for the case of, Brittany, we basically found out in that last documentary, the Controlling Britney Spears documentary, that her father had been listening to her private conversations and that she had been recorded in her, that everything that she did was recorded. They, they talked about how um, she had an iPhone that they were able to mirror so that they could see everything that she was doing on her iPhone and basically having recording devices so they could hear all of her private conversations. Usually in in these relationships, people might stalk or hoover kind of with the attempt of getting the person back or it's, it's kind of what hoovering refers to. It's kind of af, almost like after the relationship has ended or after someone's been discarded, essentially. Obviously with Brittany, uh, she has been in this thing for 13, 14 years and um, there was stalking behavior and the stalking behavior was used to basically control her.
1: Yeah. And it's so extreme. It, it's mm-hmm. hoovering to the max. And even, well, I guess to kind of go into a little bit more detail, we know that in the early onset of the conservatorship, Brittany was uh, attempting to get her own lawyer and attempting to, you know, break free. And somehow Jamie knew this. He already knew that Brittany was trying to do this. So he must have been monitoring her from the get-go and implemented um, these extreme measures since the very beginning, because Britney, as we found out in control of Britney Spears documentary, um, by the time Britney's lawyer arrived to the courtroom, everyone else was already there and had already made their decision. Mm-hmm. And it was questionable as to how did the court and how did those lawyers already know what Britney was trying to
0: do? Exactly. In this case, very extreme case of um, being stalked and hoovered, but, um, but nonetheless exemplifies this classic sign of narcissistic abuse. That brings us to the end of this episode. If you want to hear us debrief about this conversation, just kind of process our emotions a little bit and discuss coping strategies for dealing with narcissistic abuse, then tune in to episode five. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Sister C podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you found some of our ideas to be helpful. If you would like to chat with me or learn more about my counseling and coaching services, you can visit my website at spectrapsychology.com. Remember, no matter where you fall in the spectrum, the Sister C podcast has your back. See you in the next one.